Welcome to the Attorney Review. My name is Ben. And I'm Truman. And this is episode seven, the song of Celise. For those of you that are not aware, Ben and I are going through each of the 1983 and 1984 episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, providing insightful commentary along the way. This week, we learn about the power of music and what to do when an eldritch horror shows. Yeah, and they are somehow related. They are. Believe it or not. We open here not in space, finally, but rather on a pretty futuristic city. It's got tall towers, a Jetsons vibe to it, I felt. It did a little bit. Like a diamondy shaped Jetsons kind of deal. Very futuristic, bro. We pan over to a white palace, like scalloped outside, big golden spires rising above the city. There's a white-bearded king who says they're here as Tila, Adam, Battlecat, and Orko zoom in on various speeder bikes. Actually, a prime minister is what Orko says to him later. Oh, so there are different types of governing classes in Eternia. Interesting. Is Orko goes, like, asks Prince Adam, hey, you told me I could do it, and then says, hello, Pangus, <laughs> Pangus, Prime Minister of Taran, Taran, Taran. King Randor sends his regards and then tries to produce a gift for him. In classic Orko fashion, the first thing that he produces is a hideously proportioned rabbit with long, gangly arms. It's a monstrosity. And then he quickly sends that back into the void replaces it with some flowers that immediately wilt. And then uh, Prince Adam just shoves his hand up Orko's dress and pulls out like a medallion to give to the prime minister guy. That was weird. It was really weird. He just like shoved his hand up there like he was a Muppet and just (laughs) grabbed a necklace out of nowhere. Suddenly a gargoyle falls from the sky. Cracks start appearing everywhere in the city. Things are shaking. Very dramatic. Adam runs off to transform into he-man but he's interrupted by some wailing woman in a blue robe who's standing on top of a tower it was textbook wailing it was very like stereotypical spooky singing voice like yeah i don't know how else to describe it but it is not soothing no it is not well it is not soothing sounding Although apparently it is actually in the context of the show, soothing. Eldritch Horrors have a different taste in music than we do, I guess. It's supposed. So it must do something because the shaking stops. Adam asks for an explanation and Pangus, I cannot get over that. (laughs) They're like, all right, well, what's a good name? Angus? I don't know. Throw a P in front of that. You got yourself a winner there. Pangus indicates that Yogg almost awoke. Yogg is apparently a horrible creature that lives in the caverns below Tarin. And Penga says that a singer has to be kept on staff to lull him back to sleep when he gets grumpy. The spooky wailing keeps Yogg from cracking open the earth underneath Tarin. The singer demonstrates the power of the singing by causing a flower to bloom with some more wailing. Which he man or Adam picks and hands to her and then Tila looks super jealous at. 
I was definitely catching some hints of jealousy from Tila. Oh, it's just it's insane. It's coming off her in waves. Tila asks right after what other tricks the singer has, which the singer does not bat an eye at that snark and lets Tila know that she can control literally anything in the universe with this, with her singing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely anything, which makes sense. I mean, spooky wailing is a thing. I keep saying the singer because they don't name this character in the episode until like halfway through. And I didn't put it together until I was done with the episode that her name is probably Celise. Maybe I just assumed that it was Celise because the name of the episode is called The Song of Celise. Yeah, you've got that big brain energy, and <laughs> and I'm just over here hatching Skeletor plots, I guess. Yeah, if you have to, you get wrapped up in the enigma of the mind of Skeletor, it just turns your brain off to some other stuff if you're too, it's too, like, big Skeletor's plots. Speaking of Skeletor, he is cackling away while watching on the Skeleviewer. Uh, plots to use the singer to destroy Castle Grayskull. Once again, the Skelevision is showing him. He's literally watching the events of the episode. And then he just jumps over to Skeletor, who's watching the same show we are. I could use that. So is he just watching Prince Adam? How does he not know that Prince Adam's He-Man? And doesn't Skeletor have literally any other hobbies that he can spend his time on? Thinking up sassy names to call his underlings that's maybe one of his hobbies we cut over to evil lynn and trap jaw evil lynn has magicked up a rope and wraps a statue of someone maybe skeletor it's really hard to tell i thought it was skeletor looked like skeletor to me and then quips that she'd like to see skeletor wrapped up like that one day skeletor catches them in the act and says something like You will someday, but not today. And then zaps the ropes into oblivion. That seems kind of saucy right there. You see someday that Evelyn's going to get him in some ropes. Maybe that's why she's more of a partner than Beastman. Trapjaw immediately throws Evelyn under the bus also. Oh, it's her idea. Mm -hmm. We cut over to the White Palace where everybody is sitting down to dinner. And Adam asks after Lizardman who apparently is sleeping in the rock garden. It's a guy. There's a lizard man. And he is a lizard man. Not to be confused with the other reptile person. Oh, Fang Man, who's trapped in the past. Fang Man trapped in the past. Never forget. Actually, when I looked up Fang Man, I thought his name would be Lizard Man because he looked like a lizard. But it turns out he was Fang Man. Lizard Man is maybe a descendant of Fang Man. We can only assume. He looks more like a... Whereas Fangman was more like a Komodo dragon, sort of alligatory kind of dude. Uh, Lizard Man looks more like a gecko, I would say, or like a chameleon lizard. But he's not a chameleon because he doesn't have chameleon powers. He has like frog powers, more or less. Just jumping. He really just jumps. Lizard Man is awoken as Trapjaw and Evelyn teleport in. Evelyn wraps him in a rope, but then he just takes it off and jumps away. A lot of light to heavy bondage in this episode. Power play. Do you think those were intentional themes from? Uh, sure. There's a lot. There actually is a thing in like comic books and stuff where like comic book artists and writers will sneak in their fetishes like just here and there. It happens a lot with like X-Men and like 
uh, Wonder Woman is always tied up in ropes in like the 1950s comics. The guy who wrote it was way into light bondage. So it's a possibility. We'll have to keep an eye out for that as we uh, continue to watch He-Man. Lizard Man hops away. Trapjaw starts to go after him, but Evil Lynn stops Trapjaw and says that they're here for somebody else. And so they run. Well, he gets away, right? And they follow. Well, they go the same places because he goes to warn the the Prime Minister and Adam and Tila that Evil Lynn and Trapjaw are there. And then they bust in to exposit what they're doing there. They're there to kidnap the singer. Prince Adam is conveniently on the balcony, so he has a opportunity to transform into He-Man while everybody's distracted by uh, the kidnapping. Which kind of makes me wonder if Prince Adam slash He-Man ever miss opportunities to save somebody because he has to find somewhere to hide and then transform. Like in this case, if he were just to transform in front of everybody, he could have stopped the kidnapping rather than having to confront Evelyn and Trapjaw later on. It would have solved some problems. They would not have even gone there knowing that He-Man was there. They would have walked in, He-Man would have been there. He just He-Man all the time. Or if like it was kind of a known thing and said he's got the secret identity. Which actually is a bigger question is why does he need a secret identity? Do you mean why does Prince Adam hide the fact that he's the one that turns into He-Man? Or why would He-Man ever turn back into Prince Adam? Why wouldn't he just be He-Man all the time? More specifically, like, why is there, like, a dual thing? Like, why does he put on a charade that He-Man and Prince Adam are different people? It might have something to do with the intricacies of the power that he takes from Castle Grayskull to transform. Maybe there's a time limit. And he turns back into He-Man form sort of thing after like a half hour or after midnight maybe the fur loincloth that he has to wear is really itchy yeah that sounds about right did clark kent have a compelling reason for not letting everybody know that he was superman i mean that's another one where it doesn't make sense because he's literally superman i think it's like so you can have a normal human life basically and not be superman for a little bit this is mostly what it is and so he has loved ones that he doesn't want to get like killed because he's superman so like the easiest way to get to superman is to fight or to capture lewis lane so i guess there could be a similar thing going on like he doesn't want his friends and family to be at risk because skeletor knows who prince adam is except yeah it doesn't work here yeah because skeletor is always plotting to try to get rid of the people that are close with prince adam anyway the targets are already on their backs there's no reason for him to hide that and it's not like he's a vigilante like crime fighter either like spider-man or batman where they're fighting underworld people who would murder his family his family's already at risk being royalty i think it's like this prince adam has one true love which is being lazy and just hanging out and he-man always has to be doing stuff he probably when he transforms into he-man will save people again Nothing that He-Man does is proactive. It's always reactionary to something that some plot that Skeletor has hatched, which we'll see again play out in this episode. So something bad happens. Prince Adam has some morals and has to transform into He-Man to take care of it. But otherwise, Prince Adam is way happier just smoking weed in the garden. Going fishing with Arco and Cringer. Having that picnic where Orko transforms the cake into a giant cake. I buy that. I, mean, I like that theory. Evil Lynn and Trapjaw 
kidnap the singer Celise. They are exiting the palace when they are confronted by He-Man. Trapjaw shoots a laser at He-Man who deflects it. Trapjaw shoots another laser directly into a tower, destroying it, and then they escape during the destruction. So then since the singer is gone, Yogg begins to awaken. The singer's not there to calm this Eldritch Terror thing. There's a rumbling yell. A tower almost falls down, I think, right onto the castle. But He-Man pushes it back in place, and then it's fine after that. Yeah, it's not going to fall down. You know, its entire base was cracked and shattered. More cracks open all throughout the ground, and Orko actually gets a taste of his own medicine. It's a water geyser skirted up from the ground and gets him soaking wet. That's what you get, Orko, for dumping all that stuff on Man-at-Arms. He-Man asks Tila to rescue Selyse from Snake Mountain, where they assume correctly that she's been taken uh, with Man-at-Arms. He-Man and Orko are going to set up with Lizard-Man and Battle-Cat to try to stop Yogg. What is He-Man's plan? I mean, He-Man is just going to punch things, but what's the plan to stop Yogg, right? Just like, yeah, I can punch it. I have muscles. So far, we've seen He-Man get into situations and then more or less effortlessly resolve them. Through some sort of punching and or throwing and or reflecting things of the sword. So as long as Yogg is susceptible to boulders or shoots lasers or can be tricked into running after He-Man and then falling down a cliff concealed right behind him, then I think He-Man assumes he'll be okay. Which is a pretty fair bet, honestly. The Prime Minister Progolog? Pangus? Pangus. <laughs> this is such a forgettable, terrible name. Does warn He-Man and company that there are more dangers in the caverns than simply Yogg. So then they cut to... Tila and Man-at-Arms going uh, on their air speeder bike things. They talk about how going to rescue Celise, but then Skeletor's watching because he's always watching. So I guess he's always watching Tila because every time I've seen him in the Skeletvision, he's been watching Tila, I think. So we can add voyeurism to our list. Maybe it's a unrequited love situation. It's like a love triangle because Tila's pining after Prince Adam for some reason and Skeletor's pining after Tila. And then Prince Adam would have to be pining after Skeletor, which is possible. Skeletor sees them, and he commands Beastman to stop them using some sort of beast power. So Beastman summons a big crawler. I don't remember what he calls it. Yeah, a giant crawler. And like this centipede thing pops out of the ground. Giant centipede thing. And yoinks men-at-arms out of the sky. Beastman instructs the giant orange centipede to take man-at-arms to ice island in the middle of the lake of fire makes sense sounds right this is a song of ice and fire here oh this is where george rrr martin got inspiration yes a song of ice and fire oh my god it's true here it is this is where it begins (laughs) yeah that just landed for me Meanwhile, <laughs> He-Man, Lizard-Man, Battle-Cat, and Orko enter the caverns, which apparently run under at least half of Eternia and maybe go all of the way to Castle Grayskull. What kind of geography does this planet have? 
that's insane. It's a big cave. Battlecat picks up Yogg's scent, but it actually leads them directly to a band of unfriendly orcs, which in this universe are like tusked people carrying rifles with red bucket helmets and loincloths. They sort of reminded me of the pig guards from Star Wars Return of the Jedi that like guard Jabba the Hutt, like pig dudes. Oh, yeah. In He-Man, they don't have the snout, the pig snout, but like the rest of it's evocative of that. I was going to say there are often pig guards in Zelda games, which is interesting. That's both Star Wars and Legend of Zelda. We cut over to Skeletor, who is taunting the singer with Skeletor's plan to use her power against the sorceress. She says that she won't use her singing for evil, but Evil Lynn is more than happy to threaten her into doing so. Tila arrives at Ice Island, which does not appear to have a lot of ice. It mostly is like a fire. Sets off after her father. We cut again to the orcs trying to blast He-Man. He deflects it. Orko blinds some with a flash of light. Battlecat throws some others off. Lizard Man gets still other orcs to chase him into a cave, then jumps out of the way, and He-Man throws a boulder. He throws a boulder at it. Then the, the cave starts like shaking and collapsing, and I was confused for a second. I thought that He-Man had caused the cave to start collapsing, but then I remembered there's an Eldritch Horror at work. Somewhere around here. And that was really what was causing the caves to collapse. So He-Man, like the, a giant stalactite falls from the ceiling. He-Man catches it, tells everybody else to run, and then manages to throw it off. They have a brief, like, two seconds where the stalactite crushes He-Man and Orko and friends who didn't want to leave him are, oh, He-Man. And then he just, yeah, throws it off and he's fine. He-Man. One idea that I had as we've been asked by people, because there are actually real people listening to this podcast. There are is that we come up with some theme music. So one idea that I had is that we just sing the <laughs> He-Man theme at the beginning. <laughs> just go... Yeah, it'll work, sure. <laughs> and then people won't ask for theme music anymore. Yeah, they'll ask us to not have theme music then. All part of the plan. Here we do cut back over to Evil Lynn, who is convincing the singer. She is straight up hypnotizing her. It's not like hypnotizing her like in a traditional sense. When you wake up, you're going to do this when I say this word or whatever. She like eye zaps her and then says, you just have to listen to Skeletor now in more dramatic language. And Solis gives some like half-hearted, no, I won't do it, but then totally does it. So she's hypnotized. Meanwhile, Tila tracks the centipede into the cavern. Which is on Ice Island? but is very much on fire. There is ice involved because she sees it like down there and she like uses her necklace to blow up a boulder, which starts to roll and then gathers snow and gets bigger. So there's snow there. There's snow there, which is because it's on ice Island and it like rolls into the centipede and knocks it out. Saving man at arms and they can get back to what they were doing. Which, which the stated goal was to go to Snake Mountain in the beginning, but instead they go to Castle Grayskull, which is good because that's where the action is now. 
we cut over to Skeletor, who arrives at Castle Grayskull. One thing we didn't talk about is that in the previous scene, when Selyse is first hypnotized, Skeletor actually tests his plan. He has a rock that he stole from Castle Grayskull and then carved it into a likeness of Castle Grayskull. And then he has Selyse sing to demonstrate that her singing power can lower <laughs> the like dollhouse <laughs> drawbridge on miniature <laughs> Castle Grayskull. Hearing it said out loud what actually happened, you have to make sure it works first, right? Yeah. Or yeah. really, it is that Skeletor just wanted to show off his new hobby of like <laughs> model making. Check out my castle that I made. Evelyn, where are you going? <laughs> the only way he could get anybody to look at it was to hatch up this plan so that he needed something so everyone had to look at it and give him compliments on his nice new model castle gray skull. It comes down to Skeletor is lonely and he wants to be appreciated. It's true. He just wants to be told how talented he is. And he actually does have hobbies. He's not always sitting in front of the Skella Vision mom. <laughs> Back to the actual castle. Selyse tries to resist again, but can't. She sheds a single tear and then starts singing. The sorceress appears in hawk form in the sky and some like twinkles form around her. And then she falls into the castle, like falls through a window, turns into human form and falls unconscious. Conveniently through a window. And then yeah, Tila and man-at-arms arrive and do nothing yet. So Sorceress manages to send out an SOS to He-Man before she passes out, which is conveniently where Yogg is headed is to Castle Grayskull because it's attracted to Selyse's singing, and that is where the Sorceress beseeches He-Man to go to. All roads lead to Castle Grayskull. It's really just a genius work of multiple threads all coming together at once and leading to the same climax of action. The mark of great storytelling that George R. Martin also took inspiration from. Yep. Selyse, as we cut back over to Castle Grayskull, breaks the hypnotic spell and flees. Skeletor tries to zap her, but Tila and Man-at-Arms help her escape. There's a very important thing I do not want to gloss over here. I don't know if we've covered this before, but I did not remember it. Skeletor asks her to bring down the jaw bridge. Yes. The jaw bridge, Truman. So the front of Castle Grayskull, the entrance looks like a giant skull because, I don't know. Because it's Castle Grayskull. And yeah, where else are you going to have an entrance? But in the jaw bridge. Such a terrible, terrible name. Have you ever noticed that Castle Grayskull has legs too? What? Like it's like sitting on a spire and there's four like spindly things sitting off of it. It has legs. So Castle Grayskull is like a spider creature? Yeah, something like that. It's got weird little legs. I guess I will wait for the episode where it rises up. I guess kind of like the machine in Wild Wild West with Will Smith. So Skeletor tasks Beastman with knocking down, and I wrote in my notes, drawbridge, excuse me, jawbridge. Yes, it is the jawbridge. With one of their 
flying vehicles. I guess he's just going to ram into it or something. Not a lot of plan here. But He-Man grabs onto the ship and then tosses it away with an insult that I did not get at first. I think he says rug face talking to Beastman. I was thinking about how he he told Beastman to get out of this. Like, you have one chance to get out of that, Beastman. So Beastman jumps out of it and he chucks it. He-Man is always trying to save a life unless it is a eldritch horror or a demon. Or a dinosaur or a statue or a flame beast. Where does He-Man draw the line? It's that old question of where is what is man and what is beast? I think we said clothing, and I actually think that rule holds. He punches orcs. He doesn't really try to, like destroy them i guess no because the orcs run into the cave he-man blocks it up and actually says by the time they get out we'll be long gone yeah okay that's fair so clothes is the mark of a man he-man throws lizard man up into the castle to try to wake the sorceress skeletor runs but is caught by he-man and gives another great insult is this when skeletor calls he-man flesh face yeah that's your insult, flesh face. You're the one who doesn't have flesh on your face, and he's calling other people flesh face. Which is centering on Skeletor's own worldview. Skeletor is not the outsider. Yeah, that's true. Skeletor is perfectly fine how he is. Bones and cackling laugh and all. Yogg starts waking up again. Things start cracking and shaking. Grabs Selyse in a huge green tentacle. Skeletor is flying around randomly zapping things with his, like, hover bike. And how does He-Man stop Skeletor, Ben? I, he pulls out, it looks like it's going to be a blow dart or something. Like, it's like a little tube. I'm like, all right, he's going to do a little blow dart and knock out Skeletor with a blow dart or something. But no, he blows a bubble. He blows a bubble out of this little tube thing, and Skeletor conveniently runs right into it and gets stuck. And what Skeletor says is a zero G bubble, like matter of factly. And that's, that's what it is. A zero G bubble. Yeah. What, oh, one of these inconvenient things that are totally normal. I'm sure we'll see it all the time now. <laughs> is this so that they can sell He-Man branded bubble makers? I would assume. I wonder if they ever made one like that, but they wouldn't look like that. I guess they just have like a little bottle with a picture of He-Man on it, but absolutely. They can blow zero G bubbles. Out on the playground. Meanwhile, Selyse has calmed Yogg with singing until Evelyn zaps it and it starts going wild trying to destroy Castle Grayskull. It's out of control, says He-Man. As he jumps down into this pit that its tentacles are coming up from underneath. The tentacles were coming out of the hole and he's like attacking the castle, and then it like starts to go back down into the hole. He-Man jumps after it, and you get a full view of this creature thing. Eldritch Terror. It's like a little lizard with a bunch of weird-looking tentacles coming out of it. It's got like a mop of hair, like a, the beetles, and a big white horn. That's what I think an Eldritch Terror Yogg moth would look like. Uh, He-Man solves the problem by punching. He punches a hole deep into the earth, and the thing falls into it never to be seen again and that's the end of yog the eldritch terror that has plagued the kingdom for countless generations that's it i'm sure it'll never come back again 
And this is another instance where He-Man could have solved this problem. The kingdom of Terran Terran has had to maintain this bloodline of singers and presumably train them to keep Yogg from destroying, they say, both the kingdom of Taran and also all of Eternia. They've been dealing with this problem for a long time. It's extremely serious. He-Man solves it in seven minutes, but he could not be bothered to do so until until it became a problem for Castle Grayskull, really. Yeah. So Selyse wakes the sorceress with more singing. Skeletor finally bursts the zero-G bubble and escapes. Selyse believes that she is no longer needed now that Yogg is gone. My purpose has been taken care of. I'm adrift. But He-Man tells her uh, to fight crime. She says something about how, as a singer, I've always been alone, but now I will join you. I have friends now. Was it that alone being... I mean, I guess it's like a singer with a capital S, right? Like the singer that keeps these things. It's like a specific role, but like still, she was like part of the prime minister's dinner thing. Like she was involved in that. Not like she was excluded or anything. Maybe she means metaphorically carrying the weight of the defense of effectively the whole world on her shoulders. Yeah, I can see that. And then the screen fades to black and we cut to the moral. I'm going to say is don't listen to your music too loud. Oh, yeah. Because if you listen to your music too loud, it will summon an eldritch horror that will destroy your house. Yeah, it'll, it'll shake literally shake the house apart with bone rattling bass you are on theme but a hundred percent the wrong direction <laughs> damn it tila joins us and mentions that salisa's song has soothed yog so if you are ever feeling lonely or sad then you can sing a little song or whistle a tune or smile and you'll feel a lot better i promise I should have got the first half of my guess because I wrote down here the power of music. I should have just said that. I was like, that's not really immoral. I got to leave that. I got to have something better than that. Damn it. You had music in there. Yeah. So I don't know if you want, you know, a tenth of a point. I guess I could guess like point. Yeah, point one's fair. I'll give myself point one points just because I feel bad. I have two things that we haven't talked about yet. The kingdom of Eternia, at least where He-Man and King Randor and all those folks live, we've seen their villager class. I mean, I'm sure they're living fulfilling and happy lives, but they're not luxurious ones. They live in huts. But I've always seen the benefits of the technology or the benefits of the wealth of the kingdom. They're living simpler lives. And you cut over to Tarin, and it's this futuristic landscape with all these like Jetsons towers and it just it looks very sparkly and we don't get to see any of the citizens of Tarin, but from appearances it seems like the prime minister is doing a better job caring for his people if you just look at the look of their main city right Tarin's capital is a metropolis like it's Oz. It's an actual city. And then the palace at Eternia is like this barely built building in the middle of a crumbling fortress, basically, on top of a hill. Maybe Eternia is like some sort of backwater or something. 
And really the only thing that's keeping King Randor in power is the knowledge that if you mess with Eternia, He-Man will throw a giant boulder at you. And people fear the boulder. That's a deterrent. I mean, that's actually really interesting because like, here's this kingdom that's like, we've talked before about the technology not being new, right? Like that it's it came about after Marlena showed up and Men in Arms is making all these crazy new inventions. And over here we have this city that looks more technological. Although there isn't, it didn't seem like there was actually like technology there. Their city just looked more futuristic. We don't get any scenes of gadgets like we do in from Man at Arms. Man, it's not like gadgety futuristic. How is the power balance going to shift if presumably the singer of Tarin was preoccupied with making sure that Yogg doesn't destroy everything? The singer's power is capable of manipulating stone, pacifying the sorceress. Now that power is, that is no longer tied up supplicating Yogg. I mean, there's basically their He-Man, right? Can sing boulders at people. Well, I'm sure the nuance of the shifting power balance will be the subject of the next episode. Absolutely, sure. So we can see how it plays out. I can talk briefly about how this problem has been going on for generations was it like the wheel of time the aiel or whatever are thrown out into the wilderness and like they stay out there basically they could have gotten out of there any time but they stay out there because it like makes them better warriors basically and it's like fate designed to keep them out there basically so they would become deadly warriors until the messiah comes and needs them so like this is the singer has needed thing for whatever. So the fates have designed it so that this problem doesn't get solved and generations of the singer come along to improve the craft and be so powerful. So the original singers were maybe just good enough at humming to keep Yogg from destroying everything. And then over the generations, they've honed their craft into full-on wailing that we hear this episode yeah <laughs> i wonder how the the technique or the individual sound has changed over the years of the changes the fashions the way they wail yeah or perhaps it is unique to the individual singer Celise is all about wailing the last person played spoons or like did that thing where you hold your face kind of like a fish and then you flick your cheek and it makes that water droplet sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. But to what end are, have they been honing their craft? To break into Castle Grayskull and fail? To no end. Or maybe it is magical arms race situation where Castle Grayskull and Eternia have the line of sorceresses, sorcerai, sorceresses, and then <laughs> He-Man come, comes into power as well and... So what are the other kingdoms going to do if they want to maintain sovereignty? They have to have their own weapon of mass destruction. Everyone gets their own deterrent, their own walking nuke. Whatever kingdom Ram Man is from has Ram Man. Yeah, so they're doing the kind of possum defense where you just pretend to be helpless. One thing I noticed this episode is that Trap John, Evelyn were like broing it up, getting up to hijinks when they were like vandalizing Skeletor's statue like together that's like real camaraderie stuff but we don't get to see skeletor's minions interact with each other very much 
you get a lot of the relationship between Beastman and Skeletor or Evelyn and Skeletor, but not apart from this, a lot of interaction together. So that was, yeah, that was pretty interesting. They seem friendly. They seem nice. Yeah. Like at least Evelyn and Trapjar are like friendly enough to like, like rag on the boss together. And like they have a little project that they do to wrap ropes around his statue. That's one of those things where you go for drinks after work and you want to talk about your normal life and escape the drudgery that you spend eight hours a day doing, but you just end up bitching about what happened at the office. Just rehashing how awful your boss is. Only other question I have is do Stratos and Ram Man know that Prince Adam T-Man? In the credits at the beginning, they say only... Orko, Man-at-Arms, and the Sorceress. So I would guess not. So one of the things I was thinking was when we were talking before about who are the masters of the universe is that it would be the people mentioned in the opening credits, which would be Orko, Man-at-Arms, and the Sorceress. But I guess I would probably include Stratos in that because he's sometimes useful. But if he doesn't know who He-Man is... Yeah, that's sort of a rough lineup for the good guys in this situation. The Sorceress is powerful but doesn't really step in to do anything very often which is why she has you know prince adam as her champion because he doesn't do anything until something is like you know in his face and he has to do something about it i think you mentioned once that castle grayskull has the neutral druid energy going on they're not pursuing an agenda either to rule the land or to free anybody else from rule they're they're really just concerned with themselves kind of like a baseline sanctity of life sort of thing where they protect people that are there they're not like seeking out any sort of crusade to save somebody from enslavement or to protect a kingdom from some sort of eldritch horror that's tearing them apart that they could take care of in very little time with very little risk and not a lot of effort either the only other thing that i had It seems like a lot of characters in He-Man have telepathic powers. Beast-Man summons the giant orange centipede to attack Tila and Man-at-Arms telepathically. He's just chilling next to Skeletor and then puts his hands up to his head. And in He-Man, telepathy is like white circles that emanate from your brain. So it does that animation. And then the centipede does his bidding. It also means that Beastman could theoretically be summoning creatures from all over the place all of the time to harry Eternia and attack people. Because he could just sit in, in Snake Mountain and do this, right? Like he can control them from there. So he would like just have an army of constant animals attacking the ca- like the palace or Castle Grayskull. And I guess I don't know why he doesn't. I don't know, because He-Man can only punch so many things at a time and only throw so many boulders, right? And that's part of the power escalation. If Skeletor and Snake Mountain crew ever become so annoying that He-Man is not able to revert to Prince Adam so that Prince Adam can go fishing, then maybe He-Man would actually have to take care of Skeletor and friends once and for all. Maybe that's why Beastman doesn't do it then. It's a pretty delicate power balance in Eternia. And he also is, is Beastman not incompetent. Like my take on him from before about him not knowing if he ever got power out of Skeletor's hands would not know what to do with it. He probably isn't competent enough to realize 
the like upper limits of his own power because he's too used to being the underling of Skeletor. Yeah, that makes sense. He lacks imagination. Woe for Skeletor if Beastman ever comes into his own. Uh, I think that's all that I've got. Do you have anything else? That is all that I have. All right. We'll see you next time on the Attorney Review.